Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Back in our West Side Manhattan studios with ESPN's Cassidy Hubbard and Diana Rossini. We talk about the NBA, the gambling, the issues that'll come along with that, sideline reporting, NBA Summer League, and some differences between the NBA and NFL, especially among star players. A lot of fun, great hour. Here's Cassidy and Diana. Well, this is such a treat, such an honor. An honor. <laughs> Cassidy Hoberth in studio in New York uh-huh. in your town. I usually only see you in Bristol, but yeah, here we no, are. We, we see. I only see you on Instagram in New York. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. It's my pleasure, my honor to be on your pod, Woj. Well, we already had lunch before. <laughs> I had some pasta, so if I, you know, yeah. start so to we, doze off. <laughs> yeah, so we – but first of all, you see, unlike everybody else who covers the NBA, you actually work – now you got to do college football, mm-hmm. which to me is amazing because I know that you guys had the big college football meetings up in Bristol. But like for everybody else, like all the other NBA people are disappearing into the ether now for a couple months and like you're going right into college football, which is unbelievable. To me, it's unbelievable. Well, I mean, it works out. Because that season, unlike our NBA season, which is a marathon, college football season is just a, it's a sprint, but it is a fun sprint because, um, you know, it's just three months and it works out perfectly because it just happens to be kind of the off season, just the beginning of the NBA season. So I can kind of do both. Um, but it's, you know, kind of how I started my whole career. At ESPN specifically, but even before that, my big break on air was doing college football. I really wasn't that big of a college football fan in college. I went to Northwestern. Um, I was a townie. I lived at home, so I wasn't like that attached. Was that when they were starting to get good or were they still terrible? No, no. They were good. Gary Barnett. Harry yeah, yeah. They were good yeah. already. And then uh, they had a down period and, you know, since Pat Fitzgerald took over, they've been somewhat relevant. But I was long graduated when he took over. But – um I started ESPN covering college football and I've just been fortunate to be able to be connected to that really every year since I've I've been at ESPN. I've always done something related to college football. But nothing's more grueling than summer league, right? <laughs> yes. That's where we were last together. How many days were you there? I don't remember how many days. See, that's a problem, but only, you can't remember. Well, I went from Vegas, so let's see. I was gone for a good bit, right? Because I was in we were in New York for the draft. And then I went up to Bristol for free agency for like 11, 12 days. And then I went to Vegas and my mandate in Vegas was I wasn't leaving Vegas until the Spurs front office left Vegas, right? Kawhi Leonard. So Mm -hmm. the question was, when are you leaving? My answer was, when are the Spurs leaving? Because I was just trying to stay on top of the Kawhi Leonard talks and – uh, anyway, no, and, but that's and then it. we went to L.A. Then I saw you in L.A. Um, but that's it, though. Like, But Summer League, like, you have to work way hard because you're – there's one game after another. I'm not necessarily paying attention to games. I'm, no, no. I'm talking to people. I'm on the phone. I'm in that green room in the back. Not trying to be funny. Sometimes neither am I because my main job is to get guests and to get people to come on and, and talk during the game. And so sometimes I can't even pay attention to what's happening in the game because I'm going crowd surfing, trying to find people to, you know – hop on with our booth to, to interview because like let's be honest like, we don't really need to break down every single play that's oh, happening in these summer no, it's league bad games basketball. but to, to yeah. your point of like i didn't you know i laughed and people were gonna say oh yeah Woj was going out late at night when you were saying i don't remember that's not it summer league 
while I love it, it may be when I look back on like what I've done with the NBA, I think it's been, I've done summer league last three years has been the most helpful in my career covering the NBA so far, but it is a lot of work. Um, because no, it's, no, it is. It's, it's constant. It's constant. And it's the minute you step outside, it saps the life out of you. Yeah. You have to leave the building. Right. And there's so many, like you said, now there's all 30 teams there. So the games right. don't ever, especially once before they get to the playoffs, those first, but like, you just got to be there early. You're going to stay late because the games just keep going. There's two gyms. You're going back and forth. Right. But yeah, this it is year the was place harder than the first two years yeah. for me because because of the thirty teams all being there and the first weekend specifically. I mean, our ESPN production truck produced all the games in collaboration with NBA TV, but it was our truck that was doing it. Uh, we're doing all the games, eighty-two games in twelve days, and that first weekend, ten games a day. So I'm coming from the East Coast. This is like I'm not trying to have you guys like bring out the Kleenex and cry for me because I'm getting to cover summer league, but. I'm coming from the East Coast and I'm doing a 9.30 and 11.30 Eastern start time in Las Vegas. So like, I just, ne- you never get your clock right because I don't sleep well anyways. I am fully a believer that they, in the myth that they pump the oxygen into the rooms because I can never sleep. Can you sleep in Vegas? No. Do you sleep, Woj, is the real question. I do sleep, but How that's many, not I mean, an easy. Do you hate that question? Because I feel I like that is like the anger question. Yeah. Oh, we got Woj on during, you know, free agency. <laughs> How many hours have you slept, Woj? <laughs> like, that's all right. I, I can tell, actually. Every time I watch that, you like someone do that, I can see your face, face like up. this again. <laughs> this joke again. And I did it. Yeah. Right. We're just, we're really concerned about your sleep pattern. That's all. I know. Well, so... Sideline to me, I think it's as hard of a job. It's the job we'd say, boy, like I couldn't do it. I couldn't be good at it. I think it's the hardest because not everybody wants to really talk. Mm -mm. You're getting people in the heat of the moment and you're getting one or two questions. And to me, here's this is what would seem hard for me. I'm curious. And I've never asked you this or somebody who does sideline. You don't want to ask too surfacey of a question because that's like, well, that's not a good question. But you don't want to ask too good of a question because, like, the person doesn't really want to stop and think and have to answer but something. No, I will so there's nowhere in between. Where's the in between? There's no too good of a question, though. Like, not everybody wants to expand beyond three sentences right. on and something. Right, and you can't really ask strategy it. because coaches get annoyed. You know, and I've had – it's tough because sometimes you just – you often fall into this, like, pattern of, like, the same two questions. Hey, what – did or didn't you like about it's different like first quarter what did or didn't you like about the way you started and what do you hope to improve on going forward like right. it's like all if you listen to all of the questions even from yeah. the from the greatest endorsed burke like it's all the same question in different ways and then if you start to like tell the coach hey you're up 10 or you know you see something going on with your offense here, like and make your own observation. Then they're waiting. Cause these, none of these coaches want to do it. None of them. Obviously I've, you know, been on the end of being popped a couple times and I've sat in rooms where like my first ever NBA sideline Christmas day with pop oh. in Houston. He was my first interview. So I actually was able to kind of, you know, get away with it because it was Christmas and I did something a little... Did you, you, you have know. a pit in your stomach walking in on that one? Yeah, yeah, of course I did because, you know what? Pop is... He's incredible and he deserves all the respect as one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach. But the way that sometimes he conducts himself in those no, it's interviews... Wrong. It's wrong. It takes... I mean, yeah. just 
we're all there. Yeah. We know you guys don't want to do it. And to a certain extent, like, it's really hard on the on the sideline reporters yeah. to come up with a good question because we know you don't want to be there. But we, we have to do it. I mean, the league needs to give us more access if we're going to say, all right, we won't do these anymore. So we're not just going to give that up. That That is some access, regardless if nothing is said that you find worthwhile. There's going to be a moment at mm-hmm. some point. There's just something relevant. So we're never going to give that up, even if the coaches don't want to do it. And and oftentimes, like us reporters, we're like, like it sucks. <laughs> but um, as far as like my questioning, I just I just try to – uh, listen really what helps me is listening to our broadcast crew because uh, w- the way I look at it is how, how can I make this an overall broadcast that like, I feel like I'm telling, helping tell a story that our guys have been telling for the first quarter or through the first three quarters. So what is a trend they're picking up on? I think that's something that I, I've been trying to focus on when I ask, you know, the head coaches and, and, and sometimes I, I will ask the producer to open me up. So I can talk to a Mark Jackson or a Jeff Van Gundy or Hubie. You know, what do you want to hear about? Since I trust their voices and they've all been head coaches before. So I just feel like there should be some sort of, you know, we're all working as a team. I learned that from Doris too, by the way. <laughs> she did that. And if she can do that, then I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and we, you know, listen, we work together in the studio where you hosted the draft. We did the pre-draft shows, mm-hmm. uh, Bobby Marks and I think Seth Greenberg and Mike Schmitz at different times. We had different groups rolling in and so you've done that well i want to, we're gonna go back to that but the thing that happened this week the league the nba's partnership with mgm is really just like it's really like a marketing like they're just going to use the nba's official sponsor of the nba their data will be when you put bets down you're doing it off of nba data like that's what that is it's not so much the the gambling app or what's coming but something big is coming here with the legalization of sports gambling and Adam Silver, as opposed to David Stern for a very long time, wanted to keep the league away from it at almost every level. Really, Adam Silver from the beginning, and I think that comes from the owners, they saw a tremendous amount of money to be made and said, people are betting illegally, we might as well get in and and get it. But I think that the money could be, it could be franchise changing for teams. It could be, it's going to be a lot. But I think there's going to be a price to be paid, I think especially for players, when all of a sudden it goes from someone's just betting on the spread, you know, this team's giving three points or four points, that traditional bet. But what is coming, right, is you're going to sit there with an app and you're going to be betting on maybe a quarter score or how many points is this guy going to score tonight? Or from your seat. From your seat, right? Who's going to outscore okay. who in the next three minutes? Um, is that guy going to make those two free throws? And when all of a sudden, like we have this generation that just sits – on their smartphone and just hits refresh and you know you know put your credit Shout card in there NBA Twitter. right and you're going to just be betting i think the vitriol that is going to start coming from fans and people who are betting who like you said they're going to be doing it in the arena never mind the guy at home who's going to go after you on twitter it's one thing to say hey you screwed my fantasy team you didn't deliver whatever and players hear that but this is going to be different and i don't think there has been as much conversation or preparedness for how ugly I think it's going to get over time. You say vitriol. Uh, I will also add stupidity because we live in a world where, as he said, everyone is on their social media and people want to be, you know, 
on House of Highlights or posted by SportsCenter or ESPN doing something on camera and being a part of the game. So a lot of NBA Twitter on a night-to-night basis is finding like these weird videos or occurrences that happen in and around the game. So what would stop someone from, you know, if they bet on something, even running onto the court and I don't know, I mean, this is drastic, but like harming a player to prevent something happening that to, to help whatever hey, bet they have. Hey, listen, if you do something stupid in your driveway, you might make Sports Center. You might make that. 100%. Right. We like, feed this. We, no. Yeah. We, we absolutely feed it. I mean, obviously, uh, we, we don't want to say this is completely doomsday for, you know, um, our society, well, first and I foremost, think, I think it is but also the NBA. Society. But I mean, like, it's gonna, it's gonna, <laughs> there's gonna be some positives too, because I think when you pull open the curtain, you know, like, I think people will act a little bit more, um, responsibly, but they, there's just, it's just, there's just too much of a range these days, and especially when it comes to the NBA, where like, he, like people just want to be a part of it and part of these personalities. And we know these. A big thing about why I always say that the NBA is so successful across social media is because we have these intimate relationships with these players because we see their facial expressions, we see their behavior because there's few of them on the court, and you know they're more exposed because there's no helmets and all of that. So you just get to know these personalities more. And you get to see it a lot more on TV because we have a gajillion cameras up and everything's caught. Even if it's not on the broadcast, it's going to be on whatever, the local broadcast or caught on someone's iPhone. And so I just feel like, yeah, we're going to see a lot more videos when it pertains to gambling. It could help the business of NBA gambling because more and more people are going to want to be a part of it. But yeah. you're right. And I, I just curious, like, how specific are the bets going to get? And then how does it affect – As specific as they right? – as much money they can make. Strategy and what coaches and GMs – like I think it will go beyond players. And the, I just think there's going to be – this is such a money gra- – I get it. I get it. But I just think like to think that you are not going to – I think organizations are going to feel this. I think players are going to feel yeah, like more injury under reports, attack. You, okay, injury, so yeah. how much is the league going to – now that they have this partnership – what is their responsibility to provide information for the gamblers? Because there is a partnership, but there was there's some. How much does that ta- change the, right. the gamesmanship and, you think, and right, strategy? And you, and you think coaches don't want to do a two minute halftime interview or end of the court interview? Wait till you tell them that they're going in their minds. We're asking you to give up a competitive. Your opponent is going to know. At one in the afternoon, whether right. some guy's playing instead of being able to hold it right. until 45 minutes before the game. And then, I mean, we've heard this take before, but just what's going to happen with the league in the resting of players and decisions to tank. And, you know, like, uh, I mean, obviously that's not public, but, you know, like <laughs> that's going to be amplified even more. All of this kind of like black eye, like the tanking situation is not going to go away. It's only going to get emphasized, I think, with, with betting. Yeah, no, that's a great – I hadn't thought about that part of it. And, like, the tanking is – it's as big of an issue for the league. The Sixers scared the commissioner's office. They scared other owners. And what they feared was, what if we have three or four teams trying to do exactly what they were doing at the same time? Like, it was bad enough to have one team that just had gutted itself, was going to go multiple – now, part of the Sixers thing, in their defense – it went longer because of the injuries. Now, yes, they drafted correct. injured players, 
but like it really was one getting, big trade. It was like the Mark, Michael Carter Williams after you know, like it was that trade that like I feel like defined the process because they're like, well. I mean, even though the, there was some sort of pro, uh, promise there, they're like, well, no, no, this is not good enough. We're going to completely clean house and put a bunch of, uh, you know, yeah. G-leaguers and, on And they team. just didn't want, like, how many teams can we have doing this? And it scared the league, right? Because it was like, we just can't have. But teams are doing it, like, now. Like, when you look this year, you say, okay, how many teams are really not going to try to win? What teams this year, Atlanta's in that position. They are just... We have lots of picks coming up. We're going really young. Um, we're not interested in winning. And I think, like, they're in that position. Chicago, you know, they're tanking, but they've now put together a pretty good— I worry a little bit about Atlanta because the support around the Hawks in Atlanta— I mean, yeah. Atlanta struggles as a sports city anyways. With Philly, at least, you know, there was, there's some history there. There's a rabid fan base, crazy fan base. So like, and, there was at least some sort of people cared Philly about always, what Philly Sixers always accepted fans. it. I never yeah. thought Philly would accept it, and I give Sam Hinkie a lot of credit in that way. There's local TV guys were big voices there, where you've seen some other northeastern cities, Washington, New York, Boston, even. But Philly, I always thought the bloggers had a lot of voice there. That the, when the yeah. team wasn't good, while the papers covered them. I thought that the Rabbit fans really followed. They had like a lot of bloggers, and I thought Hinky sold that vision to mm-hmm, them, mm-hmm. and they sold it to a lot of that fan base. That's I always felt was different, and I think when Brian Colangelo came in and couldn't quite understand why they were all so anti him, right. anti the Colangelo family, pro Hinky, I think that took him back. I don't think he expected, and even when Hinky left, I wasn't, I didn't know that it would carry on the support for him, and it did. And I thought that sort of allowed that city to get through that whole right, thing. Right. But not every marketplace – I've had so many GMs say to me, like, we could never do in our marketplace. They no. wouldn't accept it. We can't do okay, it. what about the Suns? All right, let's, let's talk yeah. about the Suns. So let's not talk about the Suns because no, that's but, kind of what it that's is. that's interesting like, – it's a great traditional NBA right. fan base. And – They've been in position. They like they missed out last year on being able to be in in the top of the lottery. This year they were able to get the number one pick. But it, it's just, I mean, they've been tanking for a while. I mean, they, and they they were the most blatant this year when it came to taking. They were the most blatant the last couple of years. But they were funny because there was like a year where they were trying to, they tried to get big free agents. They tried to get Lamarcus Aldridge, didn't get him. You know, they tried to trade for a Kevin Love. At the, not now, but like a couple of years ago, where they tried to go get. Some use what they had to go get some big players. And when they didn't get them, they said, okay. It was funny. When they did the Tyson Chandler deal, there was like a two or three day period where they thought they were going to get Aldridge. And I went back and did a big piece about Aldridge's free agency. And I, and I knew this from the people involved. And then he told it to me too. Like he was going to Phoenix until, remember they, they traded Marcus Morris to Detroit in a salary dump. And like the day before, and they signed Tyson Chandler. They brought Tyson into a meeting with, cause he, LaMarcus didn't want to play center, and Tyson would play center. And Portland was going to try to get Chandler if they kept Aldridge. Um, and they had brought in Robin Lopez there. And so the, everybody knew he didn't want to play the five. And so all of a sudden, they signed Chandler, and they trade Morris in a salary dump to Detroit. And now it's like, man, they got to get him. Or they're in this sort of in-between place. And then they didn't get him. He goes to the Spurs because the night before he was going to make his decision, he took a meeting with Pat Riley and Miami. Miami did not have the cap space to sign him. What I think Miami really wanted was just wait a year, do a one-year deal wherever, stay where you are even if you want. 
and then we'll have the space to sign you next year. And I'm not sure Pat pitched it that way, but that was all they could do. But Pat, though, sold him that night about sacrificing and being a part of a winning organization and being a part of something bigger than yourself. And in the end, he was selling the Spurs. And so when he walks out of the room, it wasn't his intention, but he kind of pushed Aldridge from the Suns, where he'd be the guy, mm-hmm. to the Spurs, and he ends up, which fell in the line with the last words he had heard from Pop. And so Aldridge goes to the Spurs instead. And so, but then when you can't get guys, you go, okay, well, let's just keep right. gutting it. But now they've got a bunch of, they've had a bunch of picks. They got some young guys and, you know, they'll try Maybe to go with. Kobe 2.0, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, we'll see how, how that, that goes. Go? <laughs> we'll see how that The lottery reform will be interesting. Like the league wants to see, I think this year, when they've basically flattened out the odds. So the three worst teams get the same odds. It's not used to be, Let's see, 25% for the worst team, 18.5 or 19.5. I don't have it in front of me. Now it's all – they all have the same odds. And there's talk of even – they want to see how this impacts tanking and what goes on. But a lot in the league wanted to do – I think the league office wanted to do even more drastic evening out of it. But they, this was a little bit of a compromise. And then I think they say, okay, how do teams go about it this year? Um, is there less of a race to the bottom? To your point with with opening this Pandora's box with gambling, this this is a big seismic change in sports. Okay, because you're you're the world of gambling. There's 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 a lot of layers to it, including an underbelly. So clearly, there's going to be unforeseen consequences that we can't even think of right now that is going to af- affect, for lack of a better word, the purity of how we consume the game. So. Look, this is this is going to be a defining decision for Adam Silver's, uh, you know, legacy on this period in the NBA, for good and bad. You know, high risk, high reward. That's what happens. Cass, we'll take a quick pause. Somebody wandered into our podcast with you. We may have Rude. her jump in here, <laughs> but of course, as always, this episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by SeatGeek. Whether you're headed to a baseball game or a concert this summer or just anxiously awaiting football season, like someone who's sitting over here, SeatGeek has you covered. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets of every type of live event. Now, this is actually the time of the year where I come out from under my rock and start to look at actually something to go see. So I've been scouring the SeatGeek app lately. Oh, what's that top of the list? Fenway Park, late August dropping our daughter off at college. So we'll be in Boston for a few days. Now, I'm a big Red Sox fan. I've never sat on the Green Monster. I've never – I think I walked up there once to see the view. So there are Green Monster tickets. That, is, so, a, that is like bucket mm-hmm. list for – It is bucket list. I've never done it. I've never been to Fenway. I've never been to Fenway. You know, I went to Wrigley for the first time last year in Oh, for the first town. time? No, no, first time in like 20 years. Okay. Like last, so you know the old Wrigley. Yeah. So but they're okay. expensive. Those are expensive seats. <laughs> yep. But the great thing about SeatGeek is they will help you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. I actually did see four together on the Green Monster, which I didn't expect. I thought we'd be sitting all. Well, did you hop scattered. on SeatGeek like I ASAP? Did. No. Okay. Well, here's the other question. You too, snooze, is, you lose. So we're dropping my daughter off at college. There's four of us: her brother, my wife. I said to her. She's not a big baseball fan, but I said, I will get you a fourth ticket. But, like, I kind of figured she's just getting to school. She's going to get moved in. They're going to have orientations, going to meet her roommate, do all that stuff. 
she's probably not going to want to go hang with us at a baseball game like one of the first two days there. But I feel like I need to buy the ticket just in case she does. Yeah, but that's not that's that's not just a baseball game. Like that's an experience. experience. That's an event. And to be able to get seats in the Green Monster, which there's not that many. I just I don't know that it's going to mean as much to her. <laughs> okay, but you could there, probably but could, but she may want assume to still have, that that is true. Unless she just you know, but that's not doesn't want us to leave and it's not the point wants to be with us the last seats. night before we mm-hmm. leave her college. Which I think she's just going to be out get her with some her cotton game. candy. Yeah, act like yeah. she was you know little girl again. Get it. <laughs> well, there's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget, plus every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports, concerts, to comedy and theater. As I said, I've got that SeatGeek app on my phone, and it is truly by far the easiest place to shop for tickets. And best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ, W-O-J, today. That's promo code WOJ, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase, SeatGeek, life's an event, and we have the tickets. Should we let people in on who? Yes, now, people, I mean, she got a lot of teas. You know, here's the thing with Diana Rossini, <laughs> ESPN's intrepid NFL reporter. Like, you know, NFL Live, she fulfilled a dream of mine to let me be on her show a few weeks ago in Bristol. Yeah, and she acted but like... her Instagram is... <laughs> yes, stupid. There's like... <laughs> No, no, no. There's like inst- there's like everybody else's Instagram, and then there's and Diane. then there's Diane. How did you get so good at Instagram? How well, do you? How does the one become so good? He's such you a fan Instagram. of it. You are the only fan of it. I actually don't think about it. I just take my phone out and capture my life. So you are a fan of my life, then, which that says a lot. Well, because you, you live in Jersey, you're from. So Woj and I have this great connection because we live in a in relatively close towns grew up kind of in the same area or well, at least I, I grew up in that area up that he lived, lived in yeah. but early in my life when I started my career in news reporting a mutual friend of ours which I didn't know knew him uh mentioned you know there's this writer that you should meet that I know he's great he's a really good reporter and I said yeah I heard his name I don't really want to meet him I don't really <laughs> think he can teach me anything Fast forward, obviously. But can, a can decade we just say, later, no woes, no woes. I made a mistake. I should have met you. I would, I would have taken maybe five years to get to ESPN instead of seventy-five. But I got the, here. The common friend was. Can I say who it was? Yeah, good. And it's so impressive. His name is Jimmy. He was my barber in the town I live in in New Jersey. He had one chair in like an old. It was like some older, like an old Italian barber shop. And Jimmy had a chair in there and worked his way up and now has gone out west and has his own place and, like, incredible. But, like, here was this guy who in this small town in Jersey who had one chair in a barbershop and he was dating a big TV star at the time in New York City. And I didn't know you then, but I was always like – it was impressive. It was well, impressive. It said a lot about both of you guys. You were impressed with Jimmy. Well, Jimmy was or a great impressed. barber. He <laughs> really was. was. He barber, was a good but barber. But I just thought like <laughs> – He was – He was. you know. Just shout out Jimmy the barber. I know. Yeah. Um, Hook up. 
who's happily married now with children. Yes. Uh, but no, he's he <laughs> always just has such a kind heart and. But he would always talk about you because Woj would be in there. Yeah, uh, my my son would come in. He'd always get his hair. Yeah, and I was stubborn, and and no. I still feel like every time I see you, I, I feel dumb and embarrassed that I didn't take up his offer to come say hello to you. But fortunately, now we're buds, and and you keep an eye on my Instagram. Which <laughs> really, guys, it's it's nothing. I exciting. mean, stop it's, it. Last week you caught a pass from Drew Brees. You laid out Odell Beckham style, even though you ate. My hip hurts. Yeah. Um, which that's how you just know you're getting older. Like, I'm a division one athlete. Like, the fact you that you know I she can't... has the most varsity letters in all of New Jersey. I think I read that in a ESPN PR release. Oh, yeah. Those. Yep. I think I, I read that. I don't know. Who's was it 12? Did I read you. that right? 12? No. I, I don't, like, I don't know even know the number. You know, they just had me, they just threw me out there. It was just like, go, go run out there. Go Jersey. Win. Like, I was only allowed to play three sports. You played four sports. How is that yeah. even possible? I, I'm not really sure. I'm sure we broke some New Jersey <laughs> state high school sports law. Um, yeah, but mean. now, yeah, it's funny. People have asked me that. Like, wait, so how can I do that? Because I go back to my town a lot. And I'm like, I don't think you should do No, that. it's there. Do, never. Do, it's like do. Will Chamberlain. You're never going to break <laughs> yeah. that record. Oh, like, Someone can hold up a sign that says 13 oh, varsity I'm the worst. letters. Like, so I, I broke a bunch of records uh, in grammar school for the mile run. They do like the President Fitness Test. So I had the record from five years wow. old to 14 for the fastest mile. Every year I broke it. And I went back a few years ago and they just had this little board up, which, you know, my name stood there for years. And some girl came and just scratched me out in terms of she beat every one of my records and it's quite devastating. So I'm going to try to find her and race her at my age now. But she's not breaking NFL news on ESPN. So there you go. No, I don't know about no. that. Um, so we were talking right about gambling in the NBA. Like gambling has always been more closely associated with like the fan experience with the NFL. And I think because there's more injuries – like who's playing this week? There's more in and out of and the it's lineup. One day, well, well the, technically, right. yeah, the big day is right? one day. Well, I'm interested in how it's going to affect fantasy football at this point right now because that was a way around for people to be part of the gambling world at this point. And I think, I think it's going to take a hit. Actually, I think it's going to affect the participants that are going to do that because why are you going to play in a league with your friends, which it is fun and there's competitive spirit. But when you could just go gamble on everything now, it, it just it would it makes more sense. I think if if you're a football fan, I mean, I think this is going to change everything, including what we're doing, as Cass mentioned before, in terms of the information we're giving, the inside info Schefter can provide, and the other insiders now has a lot more investment from from those listening because it can affect what they're going to gamble on. You know, one thing that I never noticed until maybe the last couple years. And I never know, I don't pay attention to gambling. Like I don't, I don't look at point spreads. I've just never really paid attention to it. But sometimes things will like sort of get thrown at you or you'll see something. And I, like around the draft, I saw this year and maybe it was another year, last year, the year before where something I reported changed a betting line hmm. and it was changing betting lines on like draft, like where people thought guys would go. And I'd never thought about it doing that or, and, and I'm not sure just me, any, somebody else reporting it too. But I'd never thought of that. Now I wonder, no one at ESPN, like, I haven't had a conversation with anybody there about, like, hey, we'll need this from you or this is going to change. Not one. Because I don't think anyone no, knows. knows. But I do wonder, they... yeah, I do wonder now, like, and maybe you guys have had it more in football because you break news, Diana, and you're around other newsbreakers. And, and I don't know, I guess people are still laying their bets down 
They want to know right up until game time who's playing, who's not. But I, I just wonder if now we're going to be sucked more into that. Yeah, the information is going to be 10 times more valuable. Going back to the way you guys were talking about how it's going to affect the behavior, this is all going to uh, go hand in hand here. And I think our jobs as insiders are going to be even more important because people are going to be paying attention. I mean, I've had so many people reach out uh, just from my life outside ESPN who want to know inside information just for their fantasy teams. I can't imagine now once people are going to start placing bets, changing my number, <laughs> blocking you all on my Twitter too. Uh, but no, I, I think it's, I can't wait to see how this is going to affect it because it's going to start soon. It is going to start soon. And, you know, the, the idea too of, and you said this before we were on Cass about the money that's going to pour into gambling right. and it'll be probably be true on the NFL. It'll probably be true on basketball. That is the money going to become so big that in the past television, the media drove revenue for teams and it drove you. What was it, 2016 that like we're still kind of dealing with? with there was so much money yeah. because of the TV deals and yeah. we saw ridiculous contracts go out. I mean, what is the money going to look like? What is someone like, no disrespect, but like Cameron Payne going to make, you know, like yeah. going forward with this influx of money from gambling? And how are they going to – I mean, because it's not going to be the same as the money from broadcasting deal. That's no. that's set in stone. Like what's the pattern of uh, of the money going to be like the, coming in? Along that, with the data and the information that's going to be coming along right. from all these leagues and, and – you know, people are going to be researching and using apps to find as much info as they can on each game on the s- smallest of details. Well, the other thing too is officiating. Mm-hmm. And in the NBA, there is such a push among teams. The referees want to keep, they don't want that two minute report out of how they were judged in the last two minutes of the game. There are lots of teams who want all 48 minutes. They want all the data all the time. Utah was on this push a couple of years ago and they got other teams interested in, in the reasons why. So if you're like the Jazz, for example, when they were trying to figure out style of play, how should we play as we're rebuilding? What kind of players, how are different players officiated? How are different styles of play officiated? How are lottery teams officiated versus playoff teams? They just wanted to have all the information. Mm-hmm. And they wanted at that information from the league. And I think Adam Silver has been more of a proponent of giving more information to teams. And then it gets out into the public. And the referees don't want, they want to try to, you know, it, does shield them from attacks and criticism, and, and it, there's a push and pull there. But I think that's going to be the next thing, too, of because gamblers are going to know the data on certain officials and how they officiate yep. and how I might bet on those smaller bet. I just think, like, this is wow. There's it's so gonna many be layers. I, I mean, side note is when you think back on the NBA and the scandals that, you know, the NBA has dealt with, it's just. I hate to say this interesting because it's such a lazy word in our business, but like the most interesting thing about this is that Donaghy was like probably one of the biggest black eyes yeah. the this league has faced. And now it's a complete like 180 embracing this side of, of gambling in the league. Yeah. See, it's still easier like college basketball, college sports, I think are so much harder with officials to like you have a supervisor of officials for a conference. The NBA has access to your banking records. They know if your lifestyle is changing as an agent. And all those things were in place, and Donahue still got through. But for the most part, there is a tremendous amount of oversight on officials and their lifestyle. And if all of a sudden, if your lifestyle changed and you were living, they're there to monitor that. And I think the referees like it because it makes it clear, like, we're not 
That's not happening. But in college where it's sort of like there's so many conferences and there's so many people who it's not really their full-time job. They do it and there's not oversight. And it's easier for – in college basketball for scandal than I think the NBA because you could fly under the radar much easier there. And these aren't people who are doing this all year. This isn't just their livelihood. They're doing other things. And what you worry about as a league is somebody who's – a recreational gambler or gets mm-hmm. blackmailed or mm-hmm. somebody blackmails somebody, hey, I've got this on you and now you're going to do this. Right. That is harder to pull off in the pros, NFL, NBA than it is college. I think college, as this goes, is going to be an even bigger I – and mean, that's not our world, but, but it'll, be, it'll be even harder to manage. In talking about referees too, it, like as you said, it's going to open them up to more scrutiny and um, – becoming a story so like right now all right a ref makes a a questionable call like take the lebron charge or whatever um for instance because there's now money on it like that is accepted that this is this is an accepted part of what this game is now with with gambling being partners with the nba with i just think then people are going to dig a little bit deeper into who these refs are and expose mm-hmm. that because that's just kind of what the league is. Back to my point of the personalities and, and the intimacy that fans have with, you know, who, who's on the court. I just, I think it's just gonna, everyone's it, going to be a character. You've been covering sports longer than us just because you're slightly older than, than Cass and I. Slightly. But while we're just, dis- while we're discussing slightly. all this, I, I'm thinking like, this is a gigantic shift in, in sports and, and the way we view it, the way we cover it. Is there anything in your career that you've covered that – because I feel like we're going to look back on this. Remember when we had no clue how to handle gambling? (laughs) Remember when we had all these questions uh, about information and behavior and data? You know, We're going to probably sound ridiculous in in six months if we listen to this back of, wow, we had no idea. Or maybe it could just be a small little blip. Who who knows how we adjust? But, you know, the sports networks are trying to figure out. I'm sure the refs are trying to figure out the league you're trying to figure out, fans are figuring it out. Is there anything else in sports that has been this wild in terms of a change of, of, of how we watch and participate? I mean, I can't think like when you think of, because in the end it's about money, right? What else has created potential of this influx of money? And probably if you look back, you'd say probably national TV, rights. national TV rights, right? Like that's changed so much, the revenue but the, even the referees, and you're at more games than I am, Cass. I mean, you're courtside. I'm not at as many games. I, I know I'm not at as many games as you. And the relationship between – and Jared Dudley and I were talking about this last week, and, and I talked to the officials about this. Like, And everybody saw it last year. It is – the relationship between players and officials are much worse, and it's never been worse. The referees feel like they're under attack by the players. They this, feel This year more so yeah, than and, ever. And it's not, the, it wasn't just reactionary. No, it wasn't. It and really the, was. The referees feel like the league doesn't discipline guys enough mm-hmm. that when they – there's things that guys would say or do that used to be a suspension that now is barely a fine and guys can get away with more. And so you saw that rash of – there was a run there and I don't think it was by coincidence where they were throwing out one superstar after another, mm-hmm. Westbrook. Durant, and I remember a, a GM of a team with, with you know probably a top 10 player in the league said to him, you better watch out. They're coming for you now. One tech's going to turn into two like that, and you're going to get tossed. And, and where teams are really warning their guys, because there was no question this was what the referees were trying to send a message. Like, if you won't take control of this, then we're going to do it, and you're not going to like it. And that's what went on. And I just think now, when you add this gambling element to it, where the pressure and the nastiness and the criticism that's coming at you – so you're getting it from fans. You're getting it on social media. When you're 
that vitriol is going to rise, well, you're going to be taking it out on somebody who you're going to have the refs feeling that, taking it out on players and coaches. You're going to have players feeling it at times. I think that's going to be part of It's also the personality of whatever 2018 is now because what's said on the court between players and refs has been said on the court for years. Okay, if you mic'd up what was going on during the Jordan years, like like there's some nasty things said. But just like the players, it's a new generation of refs, you know? There's it, like the Steve Javies of the world who heard all those things and developed these relationships with the older players. It's it, it's different now. These these refs, you know, are in their feelings, for lack of a better word, um, just like the players are. And so, you know, we're so – I think there's so much more outward emotion in the game because everyone is so free to express themselves, whether on social media, and it's just amplified because any little thing is a story. Whereas something happens on the court back in the day, there wasn't like a gajillion cameras following around and then – by post about it as soon as you walk off the court. So it just changes the dynamic of how people interact with each other in general. And, you know, I saw that a lot in talking to, you know, coaches who were former players and, and assistant coaches about, you know, this new crop of refs and why, what was the difference this year? Why are we seeing this clash? It's a combination of, you know, the power that players have today and how teams have been, give their big stars this power and they think they're, they just can't be beat <laughs> and like no one can tell them anything. And then the refs, you know, also being a little more emotional. Yeah. And I think the rep players feel and coaches feel this way. And I think the league sort of did this by design. There was a generation of refs and a lot of them retired or moved on that they all felt knew how to talk to them, yep. knew how to communicate with them. And I think there was a time here where what was taught was with these younger refs, we don't want you interacting. We don't right. want this back where players want to be able to, have a guy tell me, hey, this is – watch for that. Watch for that. But Where, think about that. And then that, they don't know how to talk to each other either. Right. But she, nobody knows how to talk to each other. Nobody like, knows Maybe if they text it to each exactly. other. Exactly. That's exactly right? what I mean by it's just it's, it's, it's just a change in how people interact with each other. And everyone's so quick to be offended and that just carries over even to sports where it's, you know, used to be like, leave it on the court. I hate to be like back in my day, which, you know, it's kind of silly, but like, it's just true. It's just the nineties. You left it on the court. Yeah. Now you guys just all, now the guys in the NBA just go on Twitter and tweet about it afterwards and make videos and podcasts. Even if they didn't leave it on the court and it carried over to the locker room or carried over to whatever a bar. It was not reported like Tristan Thompson, Draymond Green. <laughs> like we didn't hear about yeah. it, so it just adds a different layer of drama that just kind of fills up whatever arena or whatever locker room, whatever court um, you're on. 